Jack L. High is an award-winning medical writer who coaches and leads workshops for physicians interested in reaping the benefits of writing creatively. We discuss the benefits during the interview, as well as how to get started on 10 minutes per day or less, how to get those creative juices flowing, and how that annoying clicking sound my partner makes when he drinks his tea can be used as inspiration. He also defines creative writing, and it's a lot more encompassing than I thought. Jack L. High has led writing workshops through the Center for Humanities in Medicine at the Mayo Clinic, continuing education programs at the University of Minnesota, and the Loft Literary Center, as well as coaching physicians one-on-one in creative writing. He's the author of award-winning books on the history of medicine and a contributor of more than 600 articles and essays to The Atlantic, Smithsonian, Wired, GQ, The Washington Post Magazine, and many other publications. He holds an MFA in creative writing from Bennington College and taught in the MFA creative writing program at Augsburg University. He can be found at l-hai.com. Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring, a practical guide for practicing physicians. Dr. Bradley Block interviews experts in and out of medicine to find out everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. The ideas expressed on this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee and do not represent those of their respective employers. And now, here's Dr. Bradley Block. Jack L. Hi, thanks so much for being on the podcast. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. So let's start off with your origin story. And there are actually going to be two origin stories here, right? There's one of how you became an author, a writer, and specifically your area of interest. That became your area of interest. And then the second origin story we're going to get into is how you decided now to focus your attention on physicians specifically and helping us to get our creative juices flowing. So let's start with just how you became an author. Those are two separate stories, and I'm happy to talk about each. Well, I became interested in writing very soon after I finished my college years. It happened almost accidentally at first because I was uh, visiting with a friend of mine from college, having dinner over at her place, and she had gotten a a job as a a low-level editing job at a city magazine where I was living. And I had told her about at dinner about a uh, trip I had made that day to the public library where I had run across some really unusual, odd, peculiar books. And I listed several of them for her. And she said, you should do an article about that for us. And I thought about it and I said, okay, I will. And I did a short front of the book piece for that magazine, liked it, did more, and eventually discovered that what I really enjoyed was writing early in my career about history writing about things that had happened in the past. And also I was an active fiction writer, a creative writer, writing short stories at the time too. So I wrote more for magazines. I eventually graduated from city magazines to regional magazines to national magazines. Then I became interested in writing books and I began proposing some books early on. I didn't have much success in my book proposals. I did start having success, and this now gets to the second prong of your question, when I came across a story about a a woman in my area, I live in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul, 
who uh, had written a letter to the editor about her uncle's experience as a patient in the Minnesota State Hospital System. And she mentioned in her letter, first of all, that he had died as a patient in the hospital and had been buried in an unmarked grave that was horrible, but also that he had involuntarily received a lobotomy as a state hospital, psychiatric hospital patient. That was news to me and caught my interest because I didn't know that many lobotomies had been performed in Minnesota, especially that late. This man had his lobotomy in 1968, and it just sparked my interest. So I called the woman, found her in the phone book back in the days when we were using phone books, and talked with her about her uncle, interviewed her, and eventually did a story about the practice of lobotomies in the state hospital system for a magazine called Minnesota Medicine, which is the magazine of the State Medical Association. Then I was really hooked on that topic because in the course of researching uh, that article, I learned about a man, a neurologist and psychiatrist named Walter Freeman, who is the main advocate in the United States for psychiatric surgery and lobotomy in particular. Dr. Freeman had performed some lobotomies in Minnesota, but most of his uh, lobotomies were in other parts of the country, especially in the Washington, D.C. area, and then later in the San Francisco Bay area. So I decided I want to keep writing about this. I proposed a story about Dr. Freeman's work to the Washington Post magazine. They went for it. So I did that. And that article, which came out in, I believe it was 2001, led to a book proposal, one of my first book proposals, which sold. It was even involved in a very small bidding war among two between two publishers, and it was published in 2005 as The Lobotomist, a maverick medical genius, and his tragic quest to rid the world of mental illness. It was in the course of promoting that book that I became aware that physicians wanted to write. And this was because I was giving a lot of talks at medical conferences, neurosurgery conferences, before medical groups of different kinds in grand rounds series at a, at a lot of different uh, medical schools and hospitals. And almost always at the end of my talk, someone, some physician would come up to me and say, I'm writing essays or I'm writing a book or I'm writing fiction, and I don't know what I'm doing, and I don't know how to get my work published. Can you help? And well, you know, I could maybe help a little in the few minutes that I had to talk with these doctors, but um, when all of the promotion for The Lobotomist was done, I worked up a workshop, an in-person workshop for groups of healthcare professionals which at that time included physicians as well as nurses, therapists of all kinds, veterinarians, a lot of different kinds of people working in healthcare, help them learn how to write. And probably the most important thing that I learned early on in leading those in-person workshops was that writing meant something different to almost every person. To some people, writing meant publishing books, getting those essays published. But to others, publishing wasn't so important. 
what was more important to many, probably most of the people who attended the workshops was getting their thoughts down, creating order out of their lives, which seemed chaotic to them without the possibility of getting it down that way. So I had to refine my workshops and I led those workshops for a number of years through the University of Minnesota's continuing education and the Mayo Clinic's Department of Humanities, Medical Humanities, continued those. And then the pandemic hit. I wasn't able to do those kinds of workshops in person anymore. And since last summer, I've been working on individually coaching physicians virtually through Zoom in their writing and to help them get what they want from their writing, which might be relief from stress and burnout. It might be they feel they need added curiosity in their life, different ways of seeing their work and their patients, putting themselves in the shoes of other people, including their colleagues and their patients, and a greater excitement in the world outside them. So for many of the people I've worked with, writing is a way to get outside of themselves, which is a little ironic because writing is a very individualized, internalized kind of activity. But if you can put yourself in the places of characters, other people in your writing, you can go a long ways to build new perspectives. When you are coaching physicians one-on-one, -on -one, and I am sold on, before we get into the question, actually, I'm, I'm sold on this creative outlet. And it doesn't necessarily need to be this creative outlet. It needs to be some creative outlet. It needs to be something outside of medicine, outside of your day-to-day. -day. Even though every patient is different and every patient tells a story, a lot of what we do eventually becomes routine. And so we need something different. You know, we've talked on past episodes about hedonic adaptation. You know, you get used to everything, but when you've got this new idea, like what you're bringing to us, it could be really invigorating. Something completely new, something that we haven't thought about maybe since our high school English class. We can do it too, right? We can do it. I absolutely agree that there are a lot of creative activities that can serve this purpose too. Performing music, if you have talents and inclination in that direction is great. Painting, pottery, and all kinds of things can work. One great advantage of creative writing, though, is that it's simple. You don't need special equipment. You can do it in very small chunks of time, and, and you can accomplish something without the aid of anyone else. You can be the creator. That's what creative writing offers. And there's a wide range within the field of creative writing. You can be writing fiction. You can be writing nonfiction. You can be writing scripted kinds of works, podcasts, whatever it is. It doesn't really matter. And for physicians, most of the benefits that come their way through creative writing happen without publication. And for those who, that number of people who I've worked with who are interested in publishing their work. There are other benefits that come with that. Few of them, I would say, are distinctive, though, to working in medicine. Uh, they're just the kind of benefits anyone would get from publishing their work, and, th and those are satisfying and significant. But one of the great things about writing, creative writing, is that you get most of the benefits even without anybody else seeing your work. Physicians were so 
geared towards achievement that we might be so focused on the end product, right? What you're saying is it's the process, right? The process of writing is the therapy in and of itself, even if there is no finished product, even if you are a George R. R. Martin who still has you know, three tomes left to write. And if it never gets written, it doesn't matter because the therapy is mostly in the product. But I have a feeling that some of us might get too wrapped up in the product rather than the process. And I have to finish it. I have to get it out. I have to publish it. It has to be number one on Amazon. It has to. So do you have any advice for getting those tendencies out of our head? It's not just that it's about the process, but it's also that anybody, I believe anybody can learn the process. So it's not about talent. And what it is about is redirecting your thinking to think in a writerly manner and also to read in a writerly manner. Reading is a big part of writing. But what that means is noticing things. If it can be boiled down to one point, notice things and be aware of your own reactions to what you're experiencing. So that's step number one. Step number two is getting it down. And there are all kinds of ways you can get it down. I'm a big fan of the little spiral bound uh, reporter's notebook with the lined pages that you can always have with you to jot things down. And that jotting things down counts as writing time. So if you spend uh, 10 minutes a day jotting things down, you're writing. And also if you spend maybe an hour at the end of the week synthesizing what you've jotted down, then you're going a little further along in your writing and you're synthesizing and putting things together and making more of what you have jotted down than what you initially thought could be there. So yes, I've met a, a large number of physician writers who are focused on not just getting published, but writing a bestseller maybe. And I, I can help with that, but in the work that I'm doing specifically to help physicians, that is, I was going to say it's not the point, it's an extension of the point, it's not necessary. And for some of the people I have coached and also led in workshops, that's, it's a relief to hear that because you don't have to excel, you just have to get good enough. Are there any other limiting thoughts that you find physicians tend to have when we're getting started in this? Yes. One very common one is I'm boring or that everything that I do is so routine that what could I write about or would anyone possibly be interested in reading it? And some of that comes from a confusion between commonplace and boring. What's commonplace can be interesting and can lead to profound thinking and writing. So I, I urge people, if it crosses your mind and stays in there enough so that you remember it for a minute or two, then it's probably important enough to write down. If you do that diligently and make a habit of it, you'll have plenty of writing material. I don't urge all the physicians who I work with to write about their work. Many want to um, because work is a big part of their lives and a lot of interesting 
dilemmas and successes and failures and emotional situations come out of their work with patients or with their colleagues. It is just as good, just as satisfying to write about fantasy worlds, the world as you would like it to be or as you're afraid it might be. And those have, I think, the same kind of beneficial effect as writing about your more immediate life. Give us a flavor for some of the variety of topics that your students have covered. I have a doctor I'm coaching right now who is writing a lot about the connection between his his medical practice and his running practice. He's an avid runner and he competes a lot in triathlons and things like that. And as he's competing in triathlons, his career is on his mind a lot. And as he's practicing medicine, his work in triathlons is on his mind a lot. So obviously there are connections. And that's one thing that he's exploring in his work. Sorry to interrupt, Jack. That doesn't strike me as creative writing, right? Like I, when I think of creative writing, now I haven't taken a writing class since high school, right? So when I think of creative writing, I think of fantasy worlds or fiction, right? I don't think of a physician slash marathon runner discussing the connection. That would seem to be autobiographical to me. And autobiography is creative writing. So there are several genres that fall into that category of creative writing. Fiction is definitely creative writing. Writing poetry is creative. Writing plays and screenplays, things like that, definitely creative but also there are many types of nonfiction writing, including the personal essay, which I have done a lot of, which is creative. What's creative about it? It's that you are making connections between things that on the surface may not be connected. And you are also taking your personal experience and generalizing from it to make it universal so that whoever reads your essay, whether that reader is a physician or not, or a triathlon athlete or not, will gain something from it and see some facet of it that might be applicable to their own lives. So if, if I had to identify what makes writing creative versus writing that's not creative, it is the effort to take specific personal experience and make it universal. And that can happen in nonfiction or fiction, poetry, any of the genres. Because your work has been nonfiction. And, and actually before, we're not running out of time or anything, but one thing that I definitely want to cover today is how you stumbled upon, or not stumbled upon, but found Dr. Kelly's work. I heard you tell that story and it was just such a compelling story. I'm hoping you could tell it so that my audience can hear it as well. And then we'll get into the other topics that you've covered with your students. Sure. So you're referring to the book I wrote. It was published in 2013, The Nazi and the Psychiatrist. And I did stumble onto that because it came out of the research that I had done for my earlier book, The Lobotomist. As it turned out, the, the focus of The Nazi and the Psychiatrist is the work of a uh, U.S. Army psychiatrist named Douglas Kelly, who was in Europe at the war's end in 1945, and he was give, assigned, ordered, to report a hotel in Luxembourg where the Allies were assembling the top 
German war criminals who had been gathered and arrested and sent there to determine whether these war criminals or suspected war criminals were sane to stand trial. Already the Nuremberg trial was on a lot of people's minds. And so he went there to do that. But Dr. Kelly was a very ambitious and driven man, and he wanted to do much more than that. He saw this as a great opportunity to look into the minds of some of the worst criminals of the 20th century. And so he devised his own project that he pursued on his own, which was to determine whether, from interviewing these men, to determine whether they shared any psychological traits or whether they shared what Kelly called a Nazi virus that had infected all of them. And so the book is about what he learned in his many months with the top war criminals, including Hermann Goering and Rudolf Hess and many others, how that affected him and directed, redirected the course of his career. I found out about Dr. Kelly's work because he and Walter Freeman, they were not friends, but they had met each other in 1938, I think it was, at an AMA convention. And at that convention, Dr. Kelly was performing magic on the stage for his fellow physicians. That, that was his hobby, stage magic. Freeman was really taken by this. I think he thought, wow, this man is a weirdo, and I want to learn more about him. And he did follow Kelly's career until Kelly's suicide in 1958. And Dr. Freeman, the lobotomy doctor, had a substantial interest in psychiatrists who took their own lives. So in reading Dr. Freeman's writing about those psychiatrists, that's how I became introduced to Dr. Kelly's work. Certainly an interesting body of work, and it's led to an interesting life, I'll say. And that's, I think, one of our goals as physicians, as as people, is just to live an interesting and fulfilling life. And so when you're making revelations like that, I mean, it just it's just incredible, just incredible. So let's say we're a physician who we're sold on this. Listen, I can do five or 10 minutes a day jotting down in the spiral notebook. It could be a problem because I can't read my own handwriting. And so, you know, this is a physician-specific problem. We'll, we'll have to figure out a way to get around that, right? But where do I even begin, right? Like, I know what my interests are, but ah, creative writing, you're saying fiction, nonfiction, everything covers so much ground. How do I think of a topic? Do I even think of a topic? Or do I just start writing what pops into my head and, and see where I'm at the end of the week, at the end of the month? What's my process here? You don't have to think of a topic, but you can. So what I often suggest that physicians do when they're just getting started in this is to jot down what they notice. And it could be things that may seem like non-starters. You may notice, for instance, that a colleague drinks coffee in a strange way every morning. And, and where will that lead? Who knows? It's up to you, I guess. But that's one way of getting started. But for other people, that's uh, harder to do. And I sometimes give people writing prompts to think about and work on. So one prompt that I often give that I think yields a lot of the time really interesting results is I say, write a few paragraphs 
about a beautiful thing you have seen that happened in an ugly place, or the opposite, an ugly thing that happened in a beautiful place. And the juxtaposition of beauty and ugliness in the same events, in the same narrative, often produces something really unusual and unexpected. And this kind of prompt works people who write fiction and nonfiction or poetry. It's an all-purpose prompt. And that's, that's one of my favorite things to start people out with. And then another thing that I often recommend is, what do you like to read? Pay attention to that. If you find yourself reading confessional memoirs a lot, well, then you're drawn to that genre. And it might be a good thing for you to start, just begin work on. If you're drawn to uh, police procedural crime novels, then start making your observations with that in mind. So there are several different ways you can go, and each method works to a different degree with every person who I'm coaching. Just the observation aspect of it sounds like it could even have some therapeutic value to it, because as you're describing it, I'm thinking like, this physician drinks coffee in an interesting way, which probably gets perceived as this doctor drinks coffee in a really annoying way. And But since you're changing your lens from irritated to interested, the same observation can be seen in a very, perceived in a very different way. So now instead of it being something that bothers you, it's something that you're able to find interest in and even chuckle about as you're jotting it down into your spiral notebook rather than it just driving you nuts. And and what we hope that would eventually lead to is instead of thinking, say, of patients as an enlarged heart or broken elbow or whatever, you start putting whatever is wrong with the patient in the context of the person. So it's a person with an enlarged heart. How does how does that enlarged heart affect that person's life? What is the person complaining about? Things along those lines. And if you can, it, really, when doctors complain about stress and burnout, they're often complaining that they're overwhelmed, they're bored, and they're not finding in their work what they originally sought when they went into a career in medicine. And by seeing not just patients, but colleagues and all the people around them, all the situations around them, more completely and more fully, a lot of that boredom and stress and feeling of uh, being overwhelmed diminishes. And that's one thing that we're going for in this kind of work. That's that hedonic adaptation again, the, the monotony of it goes away and the uniqueness of, instead of being your third hip fracture of the day, you're seeing the uniqueness of each one, of each individual, because you're using them almost as your muse. Right. The cliche is everybody has a story. It's true. You as a physician may not be able to find out everyone's story. Your time is limited. But if you can't find it out, you can imagine it. And so simply taking notes on speculations about patients, colleagues, whoever, about how 
what you're seeing affects them, how it affects you. So paying close attention to your emotions and responses, all of that comes together in a web that can lead to some very interesting writing, creative writing, which is slowly and surely changing your perspective on what you're doing and how you perceive what's around you. I love it. I love it. It's a good way to stay curious. So if people want to find you, get in touch with you, find out if you're available for coaching, where do we find you? The easiest way is through my website, which is lhai.com. That's E-L-H-A-I.com. That website has a lot about my writing, but there's also a page there about the work I do with physicians. And that's the place that'll give more information. Thank you for helping us as a profession. And thank you so much for your time tonight. As I said, it's been my pleasure. What I would love to see is physicians getting involved in any kind of creative work, which will help everybody, especially themselves, to find more satisfaction in their not just their work, but their lives outside of their work. And creative expression really has that potential and can do that. That was Dr. Bradley Block at the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. He can be found at physiciansguidetodoctoring.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question for a previous guest or have an idea for a future episode, send a comment on the webpage. Also, please be sure to leave a five-star review on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you next time on the Physician's Guide to Doctoring.